0: I speak of the loyalty placed upon a noble crown Hail and welcome to a special edition of the new Outriders podcast uh, special guest today, so we were using real names today I am Bill Talalanberg, and with me as always are Darla Roxanne Hurigan and James Lasserian-Whitmer. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, my God, I didn't realize I had so many names. <laughs> Great. And our special guest tonight, um, co-founder of City State Entertainment, uh, fresh off their successful backing of Camelot Unchained, is Mark Jacobs. Thank you, you for guys. being here. Welcome, Mark, nice. and congratulations.
1: Oh, Thanks
0: oh. very much. Now, my, my first question is, I think, the one everybody wants to ask. Did you personally get nervous towards the end there? I mean, I know from, from contributing and watching a lot of Kickstarter campaigns that the first two or three days and the last two or three days are the biggest chunks of, of most campaigns. On your first day, you guys got 25% of your goal. On the last two days, you got 25% of the goal. And then on the 27 in between you really just scratched out the other 50%. Did you get nervous those last couple of days?
1: days? Um, not really. Not the last couple of days. I got nervous uh, probably halfway through because uh, I thought we would probably have a little bit better middle than some of the other games. But, you know, look, uh, the nice thing about Kickstarter uh, is that you can look at, the trends from all these other projects, and I did. So, you know, when the first of the last 48 hours, the first 24 had gone, you know, and passed by, I felt pretty confident uh, that we were going to make it. The only question was, would would we make it by the skin of our teeth? Or, you know, would we make it uh, with a bigger win? And look, we made it with, more than skin of our teeth, uh, but not with a huge win. So that's okay. You know, look, um, at the end of the day, what matters is whether we make it or not. And when you look at all the games that, or the, all the projects, excuse me, that have failed to make it, and we're asking a lot less than we were, uh, I am incredibly pleased at the result and of the uh, support of our backers, founders, excuse me.
0: Yeah, and, you know, when you guys finished, you were, um, at the time, the sixth largest software game Kickstarter. Exactly. Um, Right now, you got passed by Hex from Cryptozoic, and now you're seventh. Um, But, I mean, you look at this this list of games that have gone through Kickstarter, uh, Torment, Tides of Numenera, Project Eternity, The Double Fine Adventure, Wasteland 2, Elite Dangerous, those are all, and even, you know, Camelot Unchained, in, a big part of all of those Kickstarter campaigns is nostalgia. They're games that were all either cult hits or just, you know, popular in the past. But for whatever reason, publishers don't want to make them today. Do you think that's the sweet spot for Kickstarter campaigns, or is somebody going to come along with, you know, a more I don't want to say new, fresh, because obviously you're all going to try and bring something new to your games, but I guess that is the term I'm going to use. You know, a newer, fresher game is going to get to be one of those million-dollar Kickstarter projects?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I mean, in our case,
1: and in the case of the games you've mentioned, you're absolutely right that nostalgia played a role. Uh, but, you know, let's say that the guys from, you know, Obsidian or... Uh, in Exile, or anyone else who's had a successful game, uh, a successful Kickstarter, once they have a successful game, if they went back to the Kickstarter community and said, hey, we've got an idea uh, for a new game, and it's fresh and it's risky, I think if they delivered on their first one or two, depending on how many they put out there, I think that... Uh, they'll be able to get funding. Yeah, you know, I think it worked. It, it, what the nostalgia has done is allow Kickstarter um, to sort of lay the foundation for what will happen with crowdsourcing over the next three to five years. And now it's up to all of us developers not to screw it up. And if we <laughs> don't screw it up and we make, you know, great games – then I think a lot more becomes possible.
0: And nostalgia is its kind of a huge factor in the games industry right now. Um, we're sort of in the midst of, a, of an indie games revolution, you know, via Steam, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live Arcade. There's, you know, independent developers, you know, small two-, three-, five-, ten-man teams out there that are creating just awesome games. And if you look at the bulk of them, A lot of these guys had their first big indie hit with a 2D platformer, which sort of takes everybody back to their NES, SNES days. Um, You know, it started, I I guess, with Braid on Xbox Live Arcade, um, Super Meat Boy on Xbox Live Arcade, and now, you know, just a ton of games available for PC. So nostalgia is, is a big factor in video games these days, and hopefully that's get some of the bigger publishers on board, realizing that there's a market out there for games other than their $100 million behemoths. Now, with your Kickstarter, do you take, I mean, you know, I mentioned that you guys were the sixth highest software you know, Kickstarter at the time. Um, do you take any any pride in that kind of ranking, knowing that the, the project you put up outdrew, you know, the project Peter Molyneux put up or the project Richard Garriott put up? You know, they both made their their goals and they're both going to make their games. But, you know, does does beating out those you know Hall of Fame game designers does that give you any sort of pride, or is 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 that kind of competition sort of not really part of your focus?
1: <laughs> you mean, am I human after all? Uh, look, of course I'm human. And, you know, is it cool that we were number six or number seven? Absolutely. Uh, do I look at it as, hey, we beat so-and-so? Uh, well, in almost all of the cases, the answer would be no. Uh, you know, maybe in one case, you know, it might be a yes. But most of the time, you know, look. Um, I am just incredibly pleased that we got our funding, the fact that we made top 10 is great, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't know if we talked about this in the, uh, the last podcast, but as, you know, especially these last, oh, say, four years, uh, have passed in my life, I've been, um oh, I don't know, maybe more uh, hopeful about karma and all that. So, I don't really want to spend a lot of time or any time, other than the whole human thing, uh, of looking at other guys and going, na 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 um, You know, I don't need to do that. I shouldn't do that. We are, you know, very fortunate. And I mean this. This is not, you know... Hey, I'm, I'm making this up. Um, we, we were just really happy that we got the funding that we, you know, we pa- almost hit 15,000 backers, uh, on the Kickstarter. So, you know, yes, it's great to be number six or number seven, but, you know, just being top 10 and, and getting the two million was so wonderful that spending a lot of time Looking at other guys and saying, well, we did what these other guys couldn't, because it's a really complicated, um, you know, problem. It's not, you know, these guys didn't fund, uh, we didn't fund because Mark Jacobs is better than Chris Taylor, or Mark Jacobs isn't as good as, you know, uh, Brian Fargo from an exiler, or Fergus, uh, from Obsidian. Um, Kickstarter's, generally succeed or fail because the concept is solid or not solid, because the developers put in time or didn't put in time. And, you know, it's not just a, hey, it's a personality thing uh, between, you know, Mark and Richard or Peter or, you know, these other guys, especially when you have guys like, you know, Brian Fargo, who was so kind to us, and uh, Kevin from you know uh Saunders, who you know wrote a wonderful, you know, uh, glowing uh, appraisal of our process so far, or the guys like Fergus at Obsidian. That you know, I'm not going to spend as well. I want to spend, frankly, as little time as I can. You know, going Nina neener, Nina. Neener, neener.
0: Well, you're a better man than I.
1: <laughs> that's I that's, so, that's, so, that's true. He has he has the true better man. man than you. <laughs> Sorry.
0: James said that uh, Roxanne's a better man than I am. <laughs> hey. <laughs> now, it's it's obvious you claim you came into the Kickstarter with a plan. Um, you guys had you know your daily updates. Most of them had videos. If you know, most of them had concept art. If not all of them. Um, how many of those did you have planned before you started? How many of those sort of came from the feedback you got from people and. I mean, because it was it was obvious to me you guys came into this with a plan, and I've seen I've seen a couple of Kickstarters go up where it's they had the, a great initial pitch, but then as the project went on, they didn't they didn't really have much to follow up with, and it sort of stalled them.
1: So you know, in terms of what you know uh, updates we had uh, ready to go, very few actually. Uh, we had a plan. What we didn't have was as much time as I thought we needed. And that's my fault. Uh, when we initially announced the Kickstarter, I thought we were going to have more time to prepare a couple weeks worth of updates ahead of time. And we just didn't. Almost everything that you guys saw was recorded that day or the day before. Now... In terms of the overall game concept, in, in terms of the foundational principles, all that, no. We had obviously thought about that first. But the updates themselves, oh, no. <laughs> Most of them we were filming live. And that mock obviously was live as well. Um, what we did, and this is a credit to everyone in the studio, we worked our ass off. Okay. These guys, I didn't need to drive them with a whip or a gun or, you know, mace. Everybody here wanted this thing to to succeed, so we just worked our asses off every single day, and I couldn't be prouder of the team. You're absolutely right, though. There are a lot of Kickstarters that start strong and, you know, just kind of peter out in the middle, and... You know, you, and it's not a question of being lazy or being a bad developer or anything like that. You've gotta be willing to work to make a Kickstarter succeed. And I have no doubt that if we hadn't worked as hard as we did, if we hadn't done the markathon, we probably would have just missed funding. I think that the effort that my team made, day in and day out, and I mean day in and day out, uh, every single day working late, you know, to make this happen is why we succeeded. We never gave up on the Kickstarter. You know, we, <laughs> we were filming, uh, crazy, uh, times. We were, you know, just coming in the morning and we would have the, you know, wrap up from the night before. We'd go over some things. And I would say to Scott, okay, we'll be filming in an hour, or we'll be filming in two hours. And off we would go. So, you know, that's kind of the best advice also I would give anyone who starts a Kickstarter. You know, certainly having a lot in the tank or in reserve uh, ready to go is a good thing. But don't go into a Kickstarter unless you're willing to work your ass off every single day. You know, I've seen a bunch of these Kickstarters, man, where I just have to look at the devs and go, what are you thinking? Why have you given up on this? You know, why aren't you pushing out more updates? And and this isn't me being particularly clever, because I just did my research before we started. And other people have said the exact same thing. So it's not like, ooh, Mark Jacobs is so smart, he figured this all out by himself. Um, everyone who's run I shouldn't say everyone everyone who's talked about running a a successful Kickstarter has said the exact same thing be prepared to work really really hard and I think probably the best example of the things that we would do is you go into our comment section and you see how we interacted with our backers which simply brings more backers you talk to them you spend the time answering their emails. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many emails I'd answered personally. Because I was the only one who answered the emails. I, you know, I said this, uh, both in our founders forums, on the Kickstarter comments. I felt anyone who was gonna take the time to even talk to us, let alone back us, deserved an answer from me. And so, you know, I tried to get every email. And I'm sure I know I missed some, but man, oh, man, you know, the vast majority of people who sent us emails through the Kickstarter process got a personal response from me. And that's what I think you have to be prepared to do, Uh, especially if it's a Kickstarter campaign with a personality at its helm as opposed to just, you know, uh, to a studio as a whole. If you've got guys like myself and others, the names you've mentioned, who are leading the charge, I think they owe it to their backers uh, to really make that effort themselves. And so, you know, I felt I had to.
0: Now, that that leads me to another question I have. Um, you guys had the highest average um, co- contribution for a founder, yeah, of, of all those biggest, by kind of a lot. Yeah. Um, do you think, I mean, what do you think drove that? Was it the 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 lust for the project that the fans had? Or, you know, did the, the tiers you designed into it play into it? Because, obviously, you're designing an MMO, whereas in other games, they can actually, like, you know, a single-player game, they can sell you power as part of their as part of their Kickstarter, where you're designing an MMO, you can't sell anybody power. You can offer them a house in a safe area, and you can offer them some special starter gear that doesn't, you know, really give them any bonuses, but you still managed with a very, very high average donation per backer.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, first of all, our backers were incredible. Um, you know, the, um, the average spend, as you say, Um, you know, really was just head and shoulders above anyone else at the time. Um, Part of it was good design. I mean, you know, if you look at our tiers, and once again, this goes back to doing research. I looked at other games. I looked at, you know, other Kickstarters. You know, what else, you know, seemed to appeal to people. And we took some chances on things. You know, tried some things that, you know, other people might not have tried. And... You know, we also looked at pricing and uh, looked at games that might have offered something similar, and we tried not to, and I think in every case, uh, offer, you know, a better We always tried to offer a better value uh, than, you know, these other games. You look at the crazy tiers I wrote uh, and how much we gave everybody. You know, once you get beyond the absolute... Bare bones tier. And even that I, you know, obviously we, it was a nice little tier. Uh, I wanted to <laughs> stuff a bunch of stuff in there for potential backers. Cause I think there is, you know, if you're looking at a, oh, sort of a menu of options and you feel that this, these options are all very generous, you're going to be more likely to buy something. And you might also be more willing to buy something a little bit more expensive than you might have originally thought because you see that the developer is trying to do more for you. And I think we did that with every one of our tiers, that if you compare them to other games and if you just compare and look at the basic value that is in each tier, we really tried to go a bit over the top. And, you know, as I said publicly before the Kickstarter and then after the Kickstarter, and after the Kickstarter, that was part of my way of saying thank you to our backers for taking the chance on an MMO. And so I think the combination of some interesting tier design uh, and the, just the overall generosity uh, of the tiers uh, and the total lack of anything, as you say, that was power-oriented. Really worked to our advantage with the uh, with the players, that they saw that and went, "Wow, you know, this guy is really trying to be as good as his word. You know, he's resisted the chance to put in tears or add-ons or anything that could make uh, the game slightly unfair." We stayed away from the usual, "Hey, we're going to sell you mice and T-shirts." And everything else, because we wanted, we told our players, because we wanted you guys to get the most value, you know, from the tier while maximizing the amount of money we could use on development. And so, you know, that freed me up to do some things with the tiers that I might not have been able to do because I'm worrying about, okay, how are we going to fulfill this? And, gee, the mock-up on this has to be this because we have the whole fulfillment thing. And so, you know, it was a really complicated process. And, you know, the tiers aren't perfect. There are things I, you know, would take back, not in terms of successful tiers. Um, but I think overall, we did a really good job.
0: Yeah, and those, those physical items, not having them, I mean, having them is a, is a problem that some of the early Kickstarters that made had. Um, they ended up getting a lot less money than they thought they did because they had to print and ship all those items, and they, they underestimated the cost those are.
1: Exactly. And that's why I stayed away from it. And look, I could have made a lot more money selling, you know, T-shirts and mice and all that other stuff to our players. You know, I know I would have brought in a, a lot of additional money, but it's not worth it, especially for the Kickstarter. Because it would have meant that we weren't keeping as much of that dollar for development. And, you know, we can always sell that stuff. And the other thing is, now when I sell it, I don't have to pay as much attention to mock-up, right? Because, you know, when you're doing it with a Kickstarter, you have to think, oh, my God, if I don't price it at this, then I'm getting so little, it's not even worth it. At this point, I don't have to sell this stuff in order to make a huge profit to be used on development. Now, when I offer it, I don't, you know, I won't feel compelled to add a few extra dollars, right? Because now it doesn't matter. These these wouldn't be development funding things. Whereas in the Kickstarter, if you're putting in T-shirts and you're putting in all these physical items, then you really have to, you know, look at the impact of them on your development budget. Now, now I'd just be selling extras, so that gives me even more freedom, you know, in terms of uh, pricing and, you know, not having to market up as much, which makes me very happy. I know that sounds sort of like, boy, the opposite of being a really good entrepreneur where I should be looking at maximizing every dollar uh, and getting as much out of the customer. But I've never been that guy. I suck at that. You know, I can't sit here with a straight face and go, yeah, I need to make, you know, a 200 percent, 300 percent, whatever, on the T-shirt. You know, it just – it's silly. I don't want to do that. I want to, you know, spend some time, design some cool things for people, and I certainly want to make a profit on it. It is a for-profit business. But I don't want to have to make those kind of calculations where – you know, I am trying to get every last dollar uh, I can out of the customers. I've never done that. I didn't do it with Dark Age. I didn't do it with Warhammer. I didn't do it with our older games. And I'm certainly not going to do it uh, with Camelot
0: Unchained. And you built in some very hard decisions into the tiers. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not going to say the $2 values, but there's two tiers within $5 of each other the cheaper one has triple the founder's points of the other one it's yeah, got it's got the special starter armor and weapon it's got the digital art book and it's got alpha access but the $5 the more expensive one has internal access 7 months earlier and i could i literally stared at the two of them for 2 weeks um, oh, i'm
1: so sorry man
0: and then well the, the crowd made my decision for me because the, the 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 more expensive of the two had a 500% limit and it sold out so I ended up getting the, the five dollars cheaper one, but. Oh, see, I would have guessed you would have just ended up buying them both.
1: <laughs> see, and that's one of those great examples where I could have made more money. Uh, you know, use the phrase leave some money on the table. And that's when I left a lot of money on the table. If I had been willing to open up more internal testing tiers, um, I definitely would have made more money, but it wasn't the right thing to do and as frustrating uh, from a business standpoint as well as for some of our customers it was, that they couldn't, it was the best thing I could do for the game. It was really that, excuse me, really that simple.
0: Oh, I mean, yeah, for that internal testing, you really have to have people that are playing the game to test it. They have to be submitting bugs. They have to be giving all kinds of feedback. They can't just be logging in you know, saying, I have access now, let's play around and see what happens. They've actually got to be doing the work at that point.
1: Exactly. And, you know, again, um, that's the sort of thing I want to conti- continue to do. I want to be able to make, you know, those choices and not have to, oh boy, you know, now I can make more money. It's just not, it's not the, it's not the way I operate, uh, for better or worse. So, you know, just like now, you know, we took out you know, the founders' rewards. I could put them back up and, you know, continue to make money from these same tiers, but I promised, you know, our founders that I wasn't going to do that. You know, that these founders' tiers and the founders' points were going to be, you know, a limited-time thing. Uh, and while we will have some backer rewards... You know, obviously, we're going to you know continue the funding, as I said during the Kickstarter. But our founders will have absolutely nothing to complain about. You know, we will, I was very clear with them that we won't be giving the new people any sort of founder point system, and we won't. We the tiers won't be quite as generous. Um, you know, and once again, maybe that's not the smartest business decision in the world to make. That maybe I should. Just say, nope, we're going to do it because it will make us more money. But, you know, not going to do it. I'm going to stick to what
0: I told our backers, and that's all there is to it. Well, I hope that any additional contributions that open up uh, manage to hit that stretch goal to unlock the depths. Me too. I really
1: want to do that.
0: Yes, and I really want to play it. Um, the, the The RVR dungeons are... That the concept was was just beautifully laid out, and so I, I really hope you get to there.
1: Thank you. I think the depth is definitely a really cool concept. Uh, I think that what we're doing with it is obviously quite different from you know uh, Darkness Falls or anything else that I've seen in this space, and I think it could be a lot of fun, and challenging, and cool as hell. Because Geiger, or Giger, sorry, um, meets Lovecraft meets fantasy is so for the win.
0: I agree. Now, I know from from the last time we had you on, um, you were hoping to get March on Oz out for Android before the Kickstarter. Um, I believe you said you were waiting for a Unity update so you could do Android and the the Oya uh console is that still is that still in the works
1: Oh yeah and that was one of the problems with <laughs> why we didn't uh have quite as much time to do the uh you know kickstarter updates in advance um, right now as a matter of fact i was doing some today uh we are getting the free version uh ready to go on iOS we do have an Android version that is running really nicely, but not with, um, uh, not in the free mode yet. And we did have an Ouya version sort of running, um, so you know it's going to happen. Uh, I hope, I, I really hope by the end of the week I'll be done with the levels uh, for the free version. I'm about a third of the way done, so. I think I will be able to knock them out by the end of the week. And once that happens, we'll do a final check uh, for iOS. And if all goes well, hopefully we'll have a version to upload to the App Store uh, 10 days from now. And, you know, we will then make sure the Android version is hooked up uh, as well uh, with, um, you know, uh, in-app purchases. Uh, for those devices And then put the free version You know on uh, Select Android tablets uh, And then Hopefully we'll have the, uh, I, uh, the The iPhone version Ready to go and then Android Phone after that Android phones up After that
0: Awesome Now You've been in video games a long time Um You know, you look at companies like id Software and Blizzard, and all they ever give you for dates is when it's done. Um, A couple of the big Kickstarters just... um, One has kind of a major delay, one has kind of a minor delay. Uh, The Double Fine Adventure, Broken Age, uh, they announced that's going to be split in half. The first half will hit their regular launch dates, and it'll go up in the, the Steam Early Access Program, so people can buy that, and it'll give them access to both halves, and then the second half will come out... Several months later, and Wasteland 2 now its beta is going to start in October, um, and you know, back on its Kickstarter it was supposed to launch in September. Um, in both cases, I think the backers of those games are are okay with it, from what I've read, just because everybody understands dates and game developers don't often get along. But you know, how confident are you in, in the dates you had listed on your Kickstarter? You know, internal access next January, alpha next August. Um, Beta starting February of 15.
1: Well, so a couple things. Um, As you may know, uh, we've begun uh, testing some of the tech uh, that we're going to need for Camelot Unchained on SmackHammer. Uh, So, you know, we have the first pass of the new network code was installed this week. Uh, Dave is working um, on the patcher tech. Uh, Tim has been working on the Whole building a UI out of the web, uh, principle, uh, this week as well. And we made quite a lot of progress. So, you know, we're not really sexy right now because none of that stuff, you know, gets people all hot and excited. Uh, but that well, was. Well, it does of, me,
0: Mark, I gotta tell you.
1: Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, but that was part of the same approach I followed with Dark Age. You know, you, uh, the story I always tell is, uh, the difference between Funcom's Anarchy Online and, uh, you know, Our Dark Age of Camelot. The Funcom guys spent a lot of their resources on making Anarchy Online look beautiful, and it was. I mean, you compare Anarchy uh, in 2001 to Dark Age, and Anarchy Online, hands down, looked better. And it wasn't because our artists sucked, because obviously they didn't, uh, but they just had more of them. And they could spend more time working on it. Uh whereas our guys uh had to deal with a very rushed schedule. So, you know, when you have to spend less time on more things or more time on less things, even if we assume an equally talented team, well, you know, which one is going to produce the better looking art? Instead, we focused on programming. And so we had a higher percentage of programmers than they did. Well, you know, Dark Age obviously came out and had one of the best launches of all time. Even today, its, it's launch was considered outstanding, and still is. Especially when you um, factor in that we didn't have a head start program uh, like uh, other games have. So, I'm following the same approach here, you know, with Camelot Unchained. Um, we're not going to do the Sexy we're not going to focus on making everything look incredibly beautiful. Uh my uh artists are going to have uh, less time and we'll have fewer artists unfortunately than you know would be perfect because you'd like to have, you know, obviously even more. Uh and we will have additional programmers. So I do think we'll be able to hit our dates. Um and I hope by using SmackHammer as an ongoing test bed, we can make sure that all the non-sexy tech, uh, like network coding, like Apache, like the login server, you know, all the things that have to work or your sexy game doesn't, you know, get off the ground, uh, that we can have this ready to go way in advance. And it's a very different approach. As far as I know, and I could be wrong about this, but I've never seen any other developer do this, where we are going to take, you know, and at the same time create a game or an app or whatever you want to call it, SmackHammer that not only can stand on its own as a fun little thing to do, but also as a test bed for the tech that's being used in another game that's being developed at the same time. Now, you know, we at Mythic, obviously, back in the day, had, to you know, done a lot of games uh, before we did Dark Age. And so, you know, that allowed us to perfect some tech, or at least have some very good tech, uh, before we launched as well. I think this approach will actually even work out better, because if Smackhammer can, you know, achieve any sort of critical mass, because we're not looking to make, oh, my God, we're going to expect this to be a million-dollar game. We don't. But if it can just get enough people playing on it on a nightly basis uh, that, you know, whether, again, it's the login tech, whether it's a network code, you know, the patcher, all that work, you, you don't want to say flawlessly, but let's just say work really, really well uh, before we even go into beta testing for Camon Unchained, we'll be ahead of the game. So, that's why we're doing it this way. It's not, again... Not as sexy. It doesn't, it won't help us get any additional backers. But what it will allow me to do and the team to do is focus our effort now on all the foundational stuff. So then, as we move further along in the process, those same programmers and artists will be free to do the sexier things.
0: I'm going to go back to the the first part of your comment. Anarchy Online is actually why I ended up playing Dark Age of Camelot. Um, I was a a long-time beta tester of Anarchy Online, and when they announced that the game was going to launch on June 27th um, of that year, the summer of that year, I said, No, that's bad. This game's not ready to launch. Nothing works right. And I was there for launch, and it was awful. And then, you know, just what, October, just a few months later, Dark Age launched, and it was just about flawless, so a week after launch, I went out and bought it, because after struggling with Anarchy Online for for four months, I was done. Um, so, yeah, their, their bad tech actually drove me to your game. And it's unfortunate, because I know,
1: you know, the guys at FunCom you know, really cared about that game, and they were trying you know, very hard, but you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how pretty the game is. It doesn't matter how clever your gameplay is. What matters is the tech has to work. And obviously it worked very well for Dark Age.
0: One of the things that happened with your Kickstarter, probably the only negative thing that I noticed with your Kickstarter, um, was brought up in an article by Ben Cochera at the Penny Arcade Report. And he ended up writing an article titled, titled something um, like, yep. How to Get the Media Not to Cover Your Kickstarter. Um, and it was, it boiled down to basically the backers of Camelot Unchained, which you know all of us are, are um, had started when it looked, you know, in the middle when the middle days, like when it wasn't rising as fast as everybody hoped. They started basically spamming all of the the gaming news outlets, um, as sometimes happened with Kickstarters. Um, did that sort of take you by surprise when that occurred? The spamming bot part, yeah, you know the eagerness, no.
1: I mean, look, these guys who did it did it. I think you know for the best and purest of, of motivation, uh, they really wanted the game to succeed. As you know, I asked them not to do that when I found out what was going on. I apologized profusely, uh, privately, and also apologized publicly uh, for it. Um, I, you know, look, if you know, since you know me, you know I've never engaged. In anything like that, you know, and I've been making games forever. I've always been very polite and respectful uh, to journalists publicly, uh, and to other, comp- and as well as the competitors. Uh, so, the spamming, you know, the real spamming, um, definitely caught me by surprise. Uh, I just thought they were going to be, you know, inquisitive and ask, um, but you know, the real spamming. Um, was definitely not what I wanted and not what some of the journalists uh, themselves wanted. And I get it. And, you know, uh, I am, just as I was then, I couldn't tell you uh, just how sorry I am that some of these guys apparently got very spammed. Uh, yeah, I'm,
0: I'm sure everybody meant well. I mean, obviously they did it with the best intentions. They just wanted to get the word out, because, I mean, Kickstarter, you know, there's been some huge successes with it, but it's still, it's still very new, and you look at the number of people that back most of these projects, I mean, on the top end, they'll top out at around, you know, 50,000 at the very top end. Um, So it's not, it's not, you know, widespread, so they're just trying to spread the word, but nobody wants to get, you know, 500 emails in the span of one day is, in, you know, two days of a one subject.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, again, that's why if I thought that, you know, the journalists were being unreasonable, uh, I would have said something. Uh, I don't think they were being the least bit unreasonable. Uh, so it certainly would be easy for me to say now uh, if I thought they were because, you know, we funded and we've got press, blah, blah, blah. But look, I mean, the numbers that they were saying – uh, I can understand why they were getting upset. It's it's really that simple. Um, you know, what Ben had to say, you know, was his opinion. Uh, just as other people, you know, uh, thought they were getting spammed as well. And they're, you know, obviously entitled to that opinion. And, you know, I don't know the numbers, of course. So I don't know whether they were 30 spams a day or 500. But they were obviously upset by them. And as somebody who is you know, now running his, you know, third studio, essentially, though AUSI was very small. Yeah. Basically, it was me and, you know, one other guy in the beginning. Um, I have to respect that. And so as I apologize to them, you know, privately, I also did publicly. And it's not something I like to do. Uh, I am willing to do it. I've never shied away, as you know, from saying Culper. culpa. Um, you know, when my studio screwed up, or I screwed up, and in this case, these were guys who were trying to get our game funded, uh, so I have every responsibility, I think, uh, to say, yep, you know, I'm sorry on their, not only on my behalf, but theirs as well.
0: Now, March on ours, you guys funded yourselves. That's all CSE's money. Um Camelot Unchained is obviously there's the the 2.25 million in in Kickstarter and PayPal funds, um, and then you and um, another uh, it was you know announced right after another outside investor contributed another three million. When you guys get you know further along in in Camelot and in in CU, do you have? another game idea out there? Is there going to be another Kickstarter from City State? Um, if you did another one in a couple of years, do you, know, do you know what you'd do differently?
1: Oh, my God. So, you know, let's start with the easy question. Um, would I do things differently? Absolutely. Uh, you know, if you don't learn from both your successes and as well as your mistakes, uh, you aren't paying enough attention. So, yeah, there were things I would do differently. Uh, in terms of another idea oh, man, you know, I've got so many ideas for games. Um, you know, it's one of the things that's constantly frustrated me over the years that, you know, I've had so many different ideas for games and I've never been able to make them happen either because other people didn't believe in them or because I had to, you know, focus on doing a certain type of game or I worked for somebody else. Oh, man, you know, my, my wet dream would be for some you know body to come in And give us enough money that, you know, we could um, work on other IP uh, while we're working on Camelot Unchained. And then when Camelot Unchained is ready, uh, take that IP and get another game going. You know, because there are so many games and so little time uh, (laughs) in this world uh, that, yeah, that's never a problem. Never a problem. So many ideas. For both games and IP.
0: We got into your background a little bit last time, Mark. Um, I had a question following up from that. How did you end up in Virginia, and, and what made you stay there? Because you sound like you're from, from New York.
1: Yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah, I'm from the Bronx. What made me uh, come down to Virginia was go to uh, law school at Georgetown, and what made me stay uh, were the trees. Honestly, I, I came down to Virginia, and there were trees everywhere. It was green. It was nice. It was clean.
0: I, I completely understand that. Um, I didn't grow up in the Bronx, but I grew up in the trees, and now I live in a place that's a flat plain surrounded by corn, and I can't stand it. So, yeah, I understand staying where the trees are.
1: Yeah, it was really that simple. I loved what i saw in virginia i loved the rolling hills when you went out you know to take a little drive um you know i loved yeah you know, it was just a different a different lifestyle not that i don't love new york uh i love new york as well but this was really different uh
0: and i liked it so i stayed is it difficult to attract talent out there i mean yeah you it's really you, hard think, now. you think of the big the big video game cities and you've got Houston and Austin in Texas. You've got obviously you've got anywhere in California. You got Redmond, Washington, Vancouver, Canada. Montreal is is huge. Um, is it is it hard to recruit to Virginia?
1: Oh yeah. First, it was hard because nobody gave a damn about Virginia. Now it's hard because we're one of the most expensive counties in the uh, U.S. So it's a, it's a double negative right now. But. We've already uh, signed three new people. Uh, So, you know, I have no doubt we can sign more. Um, Yeah, that's really it.
0: Yeah, but I'm doing my my best to avoid, you know, breaking the the terms of service on the the backer forums because I know everything there is for the backers. And um, I know as a, a Double Fine Adventure backer that... You know there are some people that don't respect that rule, and it gets kind of annoying knowing that, you know, I have access and they're just giving it out to everybody. But um, I'm trying not to break that rule. But you have, you guys have said you're 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 well into your hiring process. You've got a lot of jobs posted right oh, yeah. now. For the most of them, for the most part, it's all like you said, the engineering and programming people yep. to get that short up. Um, do you know when you're going to be, if you're, even if you're going to be hiring, you know, when you move on to the artist phase or even much closer to release, like the customer service phase?
1: Uh, customer service is certainly not going to begin for a long time. Um, artists uh, will be looking probably later this year. Uh, right now, you know, unless we just saw an exceptional candidate, you know, somebody who out of the blue says, hey, I really want to do this. And there's just stunning ability. Um, we're not gonna hire. We actually had, you know, a great, I mean, a really fabulous concept artist apply. And I loved his work. Uh, really loved his work. But right now, just not the right time. And it's a shame. Because he, was, he is a very talented, you know, guy and I think would fit well with the team. Uh, but I need to be careful. Uh, and uh, you know, not overhire. And like I said, CS, you know, that's going to be a very late hire, you know, for customer service because, um, you know, we just don't need it right now. We can do what we need uh, with the community manager, with the forums, uh, and bringing in true CS staff just doesn't make sense. But, you know, we're bringing in other people um, that really are focused on, Getting what we need done over the next, uh, say, six months, which is, you know, get the producer in here, you know, get, you know, some additional engineers in here, so we can start uh, giving out tasks uh, that will free Andrew, you know, from having to worry about some of the things.
0: Yeah, even during the Kickstarter, some of the stuff Andrew did on his own very quickly. Um, was extremely impressive. Um, I mean obviously he had that he had that 10,000 player demo running in the span of just a couple of days. Not too shabby. Obviously his his pedigree's not quite as famous as yours but he's worked on some huge titles over the course of his career. Yep. There's a
1: reason I chose him to uh, co-found the studio.
0: Have you guys looked into I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a couple years away because it's, you know, post-launch. Have you looked into the, the Kick It Forward campaign where uh, the successful games that have launched their Kickstarters put a portion of their proceeds into other Kickstarted projects? Oh, we're already part of it. Okay.
1: You did that during the Kickstarter. Oh,
0: I must have missed that.
1: Yes, you did. Well, there's a lot of, You guys put out a
0: lot of updates.
1: Yeah, we've been, we were part of that from day one.
0: Now, with Kickstarter, we talked about it earlier. Um, most of the big projects right now are nostalgia-based, and when one of them hits, somebody's going to make, make something new. Also, we talked, you know, the, the Oya console. I'm probably not saying that right, but I don't know anybody who can say it right. You know, that launched. Um, it sounds like they sold out of their allotment the first, you know, batch that they had sent to Amazon and to retailers. Um, that console came out. You're going to put March of Oz on that. Do you think that, I mean, obviously there's another Kickstarter, the, the GameStick. stick, one's well, not Kickstarter. another Android console out there. Do you think that, you know, obviously you're an iOS guy right now when March of Oz has come in to select Android devices. Is the fragmentation there a problem for you? Well, that not really
1: the fragmentation. I mean, the problem with the Android is making money off Android. I mean, you know, you look at iOS and people are willing to spend money. Um, you know, you look at the Android market, and, you know, you talk to other developers, and part of the problem is Android customers as a whole, okay, because I am not saying it's all Android customers, uh, but as a whole, the Android community spends less on supporting developers than the iOS community does. And, you know, you look at the, there was just an article, I think, this morning on Gamespeed, or yesterday on Gamespeed, talking about um, the numbers coming in from uh, the U-Year console. Uh, um, you look at all the developers who've talked about how difficult it is to make money through uh, on the Android devices. And it's a shame, because you've got some awesome Android devices, but they have to be willing the community as, as a whole, and not just the backers who bought you know, uh, and Back to or some of the other ones out there, some of the other, you know, concepts out there. But the community as a whole has got to embrace developers because, you know, look, when a developer is doing a $60 game, I do understand why more people might want to pirate it. What I don't understand and I can't understand is why people who are real gamers want to pirate a 99-cent app or a ninety nine cent app, okay? You know, that I just don't understand. Yeah, you're talking about uh, not even a soda, you know, a, a medium soda at a movie theater price. And when you see the developers who are putting so many hours, whether it's us on March or Oz or other, you know, developers on their games, and you see the numbers come in from iOS and they're really strong, and then you see the numbers on Android and they're not strong, you go, well, how come? You know, why aren't you guys supporting it? You want great games for your device. Support these guys. Support us. You know, if you like our game. Because the only thing that's happening is you're gonna have less great games on Android, and especially fewer, almost non-existent, games that aren't free with a ton of IAP enabled. You know, and I'm not, you know, a guy who wants IAP. I, I don't. I'd rather pay one price, whatever that darn price is, and buy the game. You know, and if it's sixty bucks and I like what I get, I'll buy the game. If it's four bucks and it's what I like, I'll I'll get the game. What on a personal level I don't like are the games that you know you have that are free, but in order to get what you would have gotten if you had bought the game whole, it could cost you two or three times as much. Because the only way these guys can make money is by making them free with a ton of IAP. I'm old school. Name your price. If I like it, I'll buy it. And if I don't, I won't.
0: You know, I've seen that in a number of articles where, for whatever reason, Android users just don't have the same spend as iOS users when it comes to to, add, to basically any apps whether it's games or software and what I haven't seen is a reason why um, I have you know first I have 60 something games on my tablet that I bought um, my Android tablet but most of them are from um, humble indie bundles they're they're indie games I could name my price I usually give them at least 20 bucks but you know that's where I got most of them I've gotten some off the store but you know, I have a lot of Android games, and I, just, I guess I don't understand why people aren't buying them if they're buying them on iOS. You got me. I, you know, if I knew the answer to
1: that, I could make a fortune as a consultant. You know, I just don't know. Uh, I wish I knew what the, the answer is. And you can, you know, list out a whole bunch of theories, but I don't think anyone really knows why. Um, and it's a shame, because you've got some wonderful Android devices, but, you know, if, if people aren't going to support the games there, people aren't going to do the ports, or they won't do the original content for it. And, it's, again, it's a real shame.
0: Now, last question, and then I think we'll let you go. It's been, we've used up most of our hour here. Um, one of the, the, the stretch goals for the Kickstarter was the Armory um, slash Herald. Uh, website (laughs) interface Um, given that you guys started doing mobile is there any chance that there will be a mobile app version of that Um, companion apps are starting to get popular with, with developers is there any chance
1: absolutely absolutely I mean you know look as you say we are developers you know for iOS we are developers for Android would it be silly for us uh not to do it i think the answer is yes so i very much hope that we do do it uh that we do put in uh or do put out a uh, companion app um, you know i i don't want to commit to it for obvious reasons uh because no matter what i say if i even if i say we expect to do it that will be taken as a promise by a lot of people I'll simply say I hope we can do it. Uh I certainly absolutely believe it's a good ad, you know, for value. Um, but unless we have you know the time to do it or we continue to get funding uh through the backers' pledges which will come up, you know, this fall, uh then uh I won't make it a priority, because the priority, of course, is the game and you know, then the Herald type, you know, system um, for, you know, Camelot Unchained uh, and way down the list would be a mobile app, you know, a mobile support app.
0: Roxy and James, you guys have anything for Mark?
1: Yeah, and don't worry about the hours. You guys have some additional questions? I can hang a
0: little while longer. Well, I just wanted to say that I really admire you, um, you know, for recognizing your team um, so highly. You know, it's like, I be- I imagine, you know, um, it's a pleasure to work for you. I can just get that from you. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, Roxy, that's, that's way too kind. Um, no,
0: I really have to commend you because... You know, a lot of people uh, would, you know, I guess they let their egos run away with them. (laughs) I don't know any other way to put it. But uh, you're just so down to earth. And and I like that. I admire that. I have Uh, to
1: say. That is um, really incredibly sweet. Um, Well, like everyone else, I have my moments. uh, And I'm sure there's a number of people who would say the opposite, that at times I'm a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, um, and that's true, but the one thing that is always consistent about me, and it all, and and frankly, it has been from day one, uh, both at Mythic and uh, from CSE, that no matter how smart I think I am, no matter how talented I think I am, uh, the days of me being able to do things on my own are long past. It's no longer the uh, early days of online gaming where somebody like me could code my own mind. Uh And without a team that is willing to work as hard as I do, or, you know, work hard, uh, if nothing else, because certainly I still put in crazy hours, um, I-, I couldn't accomplish anything, no matter how great my idea is. And I've always thanked the team. I've never put my name uh, above the title. Um, and that's not as much because I don't have an ego, because, look, to start your own business, you have to have, you know, at least some faith in your own ability. Otherwise, you shouldn't be starting your own business. The difference is that no matter, again, no matter how smart I think I am, or no matter how great my idea is, these guys and gals are also, you know, shedding, you know, blood at times, uh, it feels like, especially as the Kickstarter, for example, wound in down to its last 48 hours um, to make this stuff happen. And I don't think being a good leader um, means standing up and taking all the credit. Uh, I think that being a good leader uh, is a willingness to acknowledge uh, the work of others. And even if it means at times... Uh, not taking the credit yourself. Just as I also believe it means taking the blame on your own shoulders. And if you know, as obviously, the history of Camelot and even Warhammer and Imperator. Um, you know, I'd rather have people blame me uh, than, you know, blame other individuals. And, you know, it it, it is frustrating at times, too, of course, but I'd rather, you know, look back at my career and say that, you know, I thank people properly. Um, I gave credit not only where it's due, um, but at times not taking it when it's due uh, as well. Uh, because, again, these guys and gals are putting so much of themselves into these MMOs, you know, uh, making an app is hard, you know, obviously, otherwise everyone would be successful. But making an MMO is that much harder again and again and again, how many times over? And when you see guys in my space, uh, you know, in the MMO space, uh, not thanking their people, I think they're doing not only their people a disservice, but themselves as well. So I will always do it. But I do appreciate um, really deeply, uh, Roxy, uh, the acknowledgement. It's very, again, it's very kind of you.
0: Well, um, I don't know if it's kind of me, but um, but yeah, yeah, I admire you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, two last questions then. Um, <laughs> no problem. Go ahead. Wait a minute. <laughs> One, just because I was looking at the, I was looking at the forum. Um, do you do you have a timeline on when um, guild backers will be able to manage their guild accounts?
1: Uh, we are working on that tool on a daily basis. You know, we've got uh, a bunch of things that need to go into it, um, and that. One of them is, you know, allowing the guild pledge owner to give out access, essentially, to give out those the equivalent of the keys. And so, for obvious reasons, we need to make sure that works uh, beforehand, because the last thing we want is a whole lot of uh, access being given that we then have to take away.
0: Yeah, you want to make sure that if it's a... 10 person pledge they can only add 10 keys and right. correct yeah yeah that makes yeah that's probably not the easiest the easiest system to implement
1: no because it's all part again it's, it's an overall uh, hey edit your pledge thing right because you are the pledge owner and so uh, whether it's giving out additional keys for your guild members or giving out a companion disk key essentially or the uh, beta key uh, we've got to get this right. And obviously, as well, we're going to make a mistake, I am sure, because you always make mistakes in code. Uh, but I want to minimize uh, them as much as possible. And, you know, uh, at the end of the day, as long as the pledge owner got access day one, that is what counted the most. And this is no offense to the other guild members. It really isn't. But we had to get them right. Because they are the ones that can control it. Uh, and we can't get into, you know, especially given the fact that we don't have a customer support team other than myself and everyone else here who occasionally does double duty, we can't get into the, hey, managing your pledge thing manually now. You know, we don't want to get in between the guild owner and some guy who says that so-and-so promised him um, – he would have access. We can't, you know, that is not our, you know, worry right now. We can't be. You know, our responsibility has to be to the guys who made that pledge. And we have to get that right first. So uh, uh, we are working on it. We've got one guy on that tool, you know, almost full time. But he's not, you know, also doing uh, uh, stuff on the website. Uh, and uh, doing our music um, that was Patrick uh, his number one job is getting the account editing tool running so it is a priority for us but we also have to get it right
0: alright and then I promise this is my last question um, when are we going to find out the actual title Oh boy! So um, the mysterious that's really title.
1: Good. That's a really good question, and you know, people have asked, "Well, is there any chance we're going to keep Camelot Unchained?" Because after all, it's it's gone on for so long. Uh, the answer is still no. Um, we do have a title in mind. We've got a couple titles in mind, as a matter of fact, um, and I'm not being mysterious about this, but there is a reason for the delay. Uh, we need some supporting art. We need some story to go along with it, because until we have that, the title doesn't make anywhere near as much sense. Um, so be patient. I know it's not easy. And believe me, I would love to get to the uh, core backstory, um,
0: but it's still going to be a w- little while longer. So you're saying we should spy on the trademark office?
1: Ah, uh, no, not really. Okay. Um, uh uh-uh. oh. No, no. Honestly, we haven't the uh, any trademarks we filed are not for um, this game yet. Um, because, like I said, we do have more than one, and I know from trade from uh, other filings in the past. If I had filed to call this uh, anything, pick a name. Uh, somebody would have figured it out by now by going to the trademark office. I go, hey, look, they filed on this. This is exactly what they uh they're going to call it. So, you know, that won't help you a lot. Um, yeah, frankly, it frankly won't help you at all. Uh But hey, you know, if you want to look, go right ahead. Um, you know, there's just a bunch of stuff we got to get done. And you know, now that We've transitioned the team to working, almost everyone working on Camelot full time, other than what little stuff we had to do on, um, you know, Oz to, you know, this week, other than me. Um, stuff will start flowing a little bit faster. And once Andrew and I and Scott can get off the interview gig, it will flow even faster still. But, we are spending a lot of time, for better or worse, I think it's for better, though I know some of our founders think it's for worse, uh, interviewing people. You know, a ton of time. I mean, I was on the phone two hours, well, more than that, actually, two and a half hours today. So that's a good chunk of my day that goes towards interviewing and phone calls. So... You know, hopefully by, it's the end of July, hopefully by the end of August, uh, we will be down only to a few open slots in terms of uh, positions we're actively looking for. And so then Andrew and I and Scott can relax a bit. Uh, and once we can relax a bit on that, it means we have more time to spend on Camelot Unchained, you know, our responsibilities with Camelot Unchained. And in my case, that's design and, you
0: know, lore and all that. I don't think you can spend enough time on interviews. Yeah, I that's
1: kind of how I feel, too.
0: I mean, I, I did a hiring at, at my office. We went, three, we went through three rounds of interviews for this one position, and when we finally made the decision, I still wasn't sure we hired the right person until about a month later, you know, a month into the job, they were doing great. Same here. It's, it's tough. We do the same thing.
1: You know, we will go initial screen. We will then go, you know, essentially uh, department screen. So if it's a programmer, Andrew may, will do the initial screen. If it's an artist, Scott will do the initial screen, screen. If it's a designer or a community manager or a writer, I'll do the initial screen. Then we do a more group screen. And then, depending on the position, we may do another group screen or bring in, you know, for a face-to-face. You know, we are very careful. Uh, I would rather this game take a little longer because we couldn't get the right people. than, you know, until, you know, what? Like, because we couldn't get the right people early enough, then this game take a little longer. Because we hired the wrong people too soon. The first will result in better quality. The second will result in more issues. And I would rather, you know, take that chance that by not hiring, you know, the first programmer that walks in our door or the first designer that work walks in our door, I would rather take the chance of losing some time for that than because we tried to rush The process. So, you know, it's the same way we, you know, have our code reviews. Our code takes longer than it did at Mythic and it might at other studios. Because, you know, we have very serious code review process here. But it does mean at the end that the stuff is going to work well. If you look at March on Oz, and yes, it's only an app, as people say, but it's only an app when they talk about games. Uh, Oz has been remarkably, unbelievably solid for as complicated of an iOS game as it is. The number of crash reports we've
0: gotten—you
1: uh, wouldn't believe how un, absolutely unbelievably low it is. I'll give you, you know, one example. As of the last version, and I haven't looked at the new version in the last month, so I can't attest to it. But as to the last version. Um, after it had been up for a couple months, uh, we had not received a single crash log. Before that, we had not received a single crash log. The version before that, we hadn't received a crash log. Um, We're pretty serious about that. And it's not because we're the most brilliant team of programmers ever. Uh, It's because we are a very diligent team of programmers with very, very stringent code review process. And I would rather spend that extra time than rush it out. And as somebody uh, who said they have a lot of games on their Android device, and as somebody in my case who has a ton of games on mine, I would be hard-pressed to think of any new game that came out from any studio uh, that is even as close to complicated as ours is that didn't crash A heck of a lot more than that. And we're going to do the same thing with Camelot Unchained. Uh, We'll hire the right people. We will take our time hiring them. We will stress test our stuff as early as possible. And if it ends up that things take a little longer because of it, I'll do that any day of the week. Because I know what
0: lies on the other side if we don't. That sounds, yeah, Zero sounds amazing. I would, like, I would like my apps not to crash. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: there's so many games that i played that I really enjoy, but it's like, oh, Jesus, here's another crash. Okay, well, gee, here's another one, and we'll be maybe crashing multiple times in a night. So, you know, it's, believe me, from the businessman's perspective, uh I understand why they do that, especially the indies, because I was an indie, you know, a broke indie at one time as well. But when I see it from the big companies, that's when I go, like, oh, come on. Really? You guys can do better than this. Because it's not about subjectiveness at that point. It's really kind of an objective standard. Does your game crash or doesn't it? And, you know, we want to do the same thing here with Camelot Unchained. So, you know, it may take longer to hire people. And we might not like to touch on what I touched on or talked about earlier. It may not look as sexy in the beginning. Uh, but I think our approach uh, is a rock-solid one. Because that's exactly the kind of code we want to have at launch. Rock-solid. And that takes time. It takes care. And you cannot, cannot rush the process, and in a good way. Not rushing because you can add new features, or not rushing it because you want to pretty it up. Now, we don't want to rush it because we need it to be really, really solid. So, it will be, hopefully, a good fall for us. We will be able to get a lot of content, you know, pushed out by then on a more regular basis. But if it takes us a little bit longer... So be it. All right.
0: And we're willing to wait.
1: Well, thank you.
0: For as long as it takes, yeah.
1: Well, you know, the thing is, again, because of our approach, we do want to get people in earlier. So it's sort of like it's a really interesting and very kind of strange situation that on one hand we tell people we want you in early to play our game, but it will take longer for people to play our game. But I think it's the way, I think it's going to work out really well. Because our testers will be in early, earlier than any other MMO that I'm aware of. Um, and they'll be testing us, testing in there, as well as testing in Smackhammer. And, you know, though it won't, it'll speed up some things, it will also mean, I think, that, you know, it's why I put down two and a half years. It's why we said, you know, the first, you know, that the game wouldn't ship until late you know, in the year, as opposed to being a little bit more optimistic and saying we'd ship earlier in the year. Um, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. But the one thing that I can guarantee everybody, we are not rushing to hire. We're not rushing to get this game out as quickly as possible, uh, because that way just doesn't end well. And... You know, we'll take our time. I think I posted an update, you guys probably saw it, that I haven't actually spent any of the Kickstarter money yet. And that is the truth. You know, I've been using my own money, and now that the studio is, you know, almost full-time, now I'm going to start to use the Kickstarter money. So it's not like we've spent even the last few months burning through any of that Kickstarter funding have not yet.
0: And the round of concept art you put in that last Kickstarter update is just beautiful. Oh, thank you. So, I hope you your kick- artists are proud. Kick- what was that? Which
1: one are you talking about?
0: The Kickstarter,
1: um, Kickstarter update or the update that I've done post Kickstarter?
0: Well, this one I'm talking about the the July 15th Kickstarter oh, update, okay. update 54. Um,
1: the, the, uh, well, Land of the TDD and the, uh, story? Yeah,
0: yeah. The, yeah, that concept art is just
1: beautiful. Michelle and Sandra kick, uh, total butt. Yeah, they are two very talented, you know, concept artists with two very different styles in the beginning. And part of the process here, I let them do their thing and it slowly merges. To become, you know, what we will, uh, hopefully be able to create. But they are two very, very talented, uh,
0: young artists. Maybe we'll have to have one of them on one day.
1: Sure. Especially right. Michelle. Michelle loves to talk.
0: We like people who like to talk.
1: Yeah, that's not a problem. She did the live streams. And I think is awesome. probably, uh, itching to get back, you know, and do some more.
0: Well, I think I think that about wraps it up. Um, obviously, first and foremost, we want to thank you for coming on again. Um, we're all very very excited about about CU. Um, we've got the guild contribution. We've got several individual contributions. Um, I'm not going to say who it was, but one of them spent enough to buy a house um, <laughs> in the game. I so. Who that so that is oh was, in the game, well, yeah. That wasn't That wasn't was me. But one of the in-game housing tiers. Those are up there. So you know we're we're very excited about this game so we're going to be we're going to be following you closely and you know once that um the guild pledge owner is in there with their keys uh we're probably going to overrun the place yeah this was our uh mark this was our first um first kickstarter campaign that we did as a guild uh successfully and it uh, it really went off quite well i think for us uh, and I had kind of hoped, and, and I nudged Tallow about this a little bit, that we could kind of maybe nudge up a little bit to the, to the higher tier um, than we did end up. But nevertheless, I, it was a little bit of a big deal for us because it was the first, um, you know, after we had established ourselves as a nonprofit and after we had sort of created this legal entity as, a, as the Guild um, for New Outriders, uh, you know, to protect our, our 20-year history now. And, and we were very excited to, to be a part of this, and, and we're so glad that you were able to join us again on the podcast.
1: Well, you know, first of all, the simple short answer is it's great to be here as always. I like talking. Um, you know, so I always enjoy, you know, this sort of stuff. Um, and the short answer to part two is also thank you as well uh, for the support of the Guild, uh, for you guys making the effort that you have, whether, it's, whether it is to invite me on to talk about these things or uh, to support our game and to be excited about it. Um you know, it's, it's really flattering, um when I see people who've not only made the effort because, you know, following a Kickstarter, backing a Kickstarter does take a little bit of, uh, certainly amount of time, even if it is, um you know, not as, uh, oh boy, uh, I don't want to say obsessive because that's not the right word, but intense as some of the uh, backers who followed us. Um, you know, it's it's really a cool concept, this whole Kickstarter thing um, It's something that, as I've said many times, can be such a boon to this industry And it's an industry which needs Kickstarter very badly uh, And whether it's Kickstarter, Indiegogo, or any other crowdsources That may, you know, um, pop up over the next few years and it's groups like you guys that will help make it an even bigger reality. Because it's one thing for somebody to drop a lot of money on the game, and that's wonderful, and I, and I appreciate that, you know, immensely. But if we're trying to make crowdsourcing a success, we need volume. You know, we need guys like, you know, your guild, or guys, you know, just in the sense of a community of guys and gals, coming and backing these plays that are not publisher-driven. Because, you know, look, I don't hate publishers. Far from it. Uh, I think people within the publishing, some people within certain publishers, I I, I have to admit that I would use uh, the word hate. Um, but we really as an industry have got to find a way to continue to diversify uh, funding sources, game types,
0: uh,
1: before, you know, we end up in a very dark place. And I think if you want to draw an analogy, as people are always drawing analogies to Hollywood, uh, you look at what's going on right now in the film and television space. You know, the fact that Netflix just got, what, 11 Emmys? Uh, that you have Amazon you know, out doing original work. Uh, you have, obviously, the amazing success of things like Game of Thrones uh, and other, you know, series on uh, HBO, Showtime, etc. Um, as a wonderful thing for Hollywood. You know, something that I think will revitalize Hollywood in a way that nobody could have anticipated ten years ago. And I'm hoping that this crowdsourcing, again, whether Kickstarter or Indiegogo, etc., will help to revitalize the game industry. Because when you look at the NPD data, it's sad. You know, every month, it seems like the numbers are going down. Uh, you look at the consoles in this this generation. Uh, you look at the stuff that's going on, you know, with the mobile and tablet. Um, you look at the failed IPOs, or IPOs whose Obviously, values have gone, you know, the value of the companies have gone down. So we need your kind of support. Uh, we need, you know, people to really get behind projects uh, and tell publishers uh, that, hey, if you don't want to support guys like us, then we're going to support, you know, other developers who can self-publish. And, you know, maybe new publishers will rise up from the ashes, you know, of the dead ones. Uh, to, you know, stand up and go, look, we know there's a market for these kind of games. We know that there's, you know, a lot of people out there who want to play them and who want to play something other than the latest regurgitated, you know, 60 million plus, you know, sequel, you know, which is not just a sequel, but maybe the fifth sequel. Uh, yeah. because that's the way to make money and it's the way to, you know, get an investment, your investment back. Um, you know, look, I have nothing against X game, you know, y, 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 y. Uh, I understand why publishers do it. I've seen the numbers. But I think there's also a place for Camelot Unchained. I think there's also a place for the In Exile, for the Obsidian games, uh, for other things, you know, games like Tug or projects like Tug that, you know, fund it. And that's what I'm really hoping happens, and it's thanks to support, again, of guys like yourself who, like you said, this is your first campaign, and you, you know, went to a, a certain amount of effort, obviously, uh, both financial and time-wise, to back it. And we need to send, you know, this message to the publishers. And, you know, again, I really hope we don't screw it up. You know, we, speaking as the developer, we, uh, and not we as an individual, uh, I'll leave that to the uh, you know current Prince of Wales uh, with their new baby uh, to talk in the Imperial Week. Cool. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's going to be a very interesting two years, both for us and for guys like in Exile and Obsidian and Garriette, blah, blah, blah. And if we succeed, then I think you're really going to see a, an incredibly interesting era. After that Much like again Netflix and Amazon And HBO and Showtime You know have changed Their industry I'm hoping people like us Can help change us.
0: Alright um, Again I want to thank Mark Jacobs um, Co-founder of City State Entertainment Creator of Dark Age of Camelot uh, For being here Um we really do thank you. We really appreciate it. Um, and as always, thank you to um, James Lassarian Whitmer and Darla Roxanne Horrigan. Um <laughs> I like saying her name. I prefer I prefer Hooligan to Hurigan, but we'll go with Whorigan. Hey, I was born a Hooligan. Well, all right. Um, <laughs> it's a great name. It is, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. Good night, everybody.